from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Castelbrus. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a doctor, but I am. I'm a doctor. That's probably not the one you expect. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. <laughs> Where do you want to start? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the new Who Doctor Who Watch Along podcast. We've had a bit of a break, had a little bit of a time away from the show, um, but now we it's are... been a long day without but you, my friend. friend. <laughs> <laughs> I see you again. Ah! <laughs> um, Hello, everybody. <laughs> Nothing has changed, and everything has changed. I am joined as exactly. always by, who you've already heard, the uh, lovely Tim Saxby. And Hello, everybody. It's nice to be back. Yeah, and I am Harry, who's all right, I guess. Um, so, <laughs> as is per now, we are going to start with the uh, news. So, we've been away for a month and a bit. What exciting I like the fact has that happened in this... our absence? <laughs> As soon, as soon as we left, I, I would say within, within was it within two weeks they announced that Jody was leaving. Oh, we got the series thirteen stuff, and then the next week, so like the one week, like the month, we could have picked basically we could have picked the worst month of the year to have off um, from podcasting. But we've come back to some exciting news, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, now we've done videos already, or podcast installments, mm. however you're watching this, whether it's on YouTube, Acast, iTunes, or Spotify. Is that all the places? Very well. That's very well done, yeah, very well done. <laughs> yeah. Um, regardless of all, you know, I hope you're enjoying wherever you're listening from. But yeah, we, we have covered this. Um, but I guess, should we do a little just recap of our thoughts on the whole show and a thing now, with a bit of time? Yes. Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, you start. You go for it, I'll join in. Yeah, um, I don't know it's weird. I mean, I, Jody has been the Doctor for a while, so I guess it makes sense she's leaving. Um, yeah, I hope that series thirteen kind of gives a uh, satisfying conclusion to kind of the journey that she's had. I feel like kind of yeah. series one, eleven, and twelve, we were just getting started. Um, the thing I'm really interested in is uh, the new showrunner. Um, I've think that um chris has kind of laid a foundation so far yeah. for a new show to come in and do s- some really interesting stuff it's just a question of who that's going to be whoever it might be i have favorites we've been over that um yeah, yeah. but i'm pretty open-minded where that's concerned i'm i'm I, I i've had like it's been a while since they announced it so i've sort of had time to sort of mull it over and have different opinions on it um, one one of them is that if he didn't come back, and the BBC went, "This is it, we're resting it for a little bit." I don't honestly think I'd be that upset, which is a strange thing to hear someone who co-hosts a Doctor Who podcast say. But I, I I don't know. I just sort of feel like it's been around now for that long that I wouldn't be disappointed. But I also have a really strange feeling that when it does come back, um after Jody or whatever the BBC are currently planning to do with it, I don't think it's just going to return in exactly the same format we're currently going to see it. Mm. I feel there's going to be some changes and I think they're going to build the brand of Doctor Who because I think they're aware of the Marvel stuff and comments by Russell and what fans have said. Um, you know, you've got all these really well-known IPs, so why not? build a, a a universe around that and from what i've heard from stuff like i think it was empire the most recent empire magazine they, they were talking about rumors of dot two multiverses opening and stuff like that and you know it'd be interesting to see what's going to happen mm, yeah i kind of agree personally i wouldn't mind if the show took a break i'm kind of anticipating it and i know what i'm about yeah. to say is going to make a lot of our older videos horrifically dated as if they weren't already but um <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a 60th. Um, no, I don't, know. No, I don't think there's going to be any kind of 60th special. We're going to get this centenary special, um, which is the last Chris and Jody story, um, which is going to be, I'm guessing, more of a celebration of um, 
the BBC than anything. Uh, I don't know, maybe the Doctor's going to save a young Verity Lambert or something. <laughs> Can they do that? Do you think they could get away with that? I like the idea of it, but even I think even I would go, uh, Yeah, bit, sure. That's just have, like, this, this little girl Verity Lambert who's like, I sure do. do I sure do love television. Oh, I do. And then Jodie's like, <laughs> "One day you might work for telly. Wouldn't that be grand?" And then she takes off with Tardis, <laughs> and um, little Verity Lambert w- watches her go off, and she goes, "Hmm." And it creates. Is it? Is it? Uh, is it a bit like where Capaldi's doctor saved a young Davros, and he's like, "Tell me your name," and he goes, "Davros," and instead of going. Who who's called you that? You're just a human boy. You look like a you look like a human boy who's called Davros. He just goes, oh no. So I like the idea. We go for a full episode at the end. It goes very to Lambert, and either people will go, or people will go, who? <laughs> That's the thing. No, What's your name? Russell T Davies. <laughs> so I feel like the more people, I feel in the collective consciousness. There is more of a collective awareness of who Russell T Davies is than Verity. Uh, yeah, definitely. Massively. <laughs> that similar. would be so funny. We're going to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the BBC by honouring the guy who brought back Doctor Who after 45 years of it being on our screens or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, whatever they do, whatever they do, I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll get something. They... There'll be a big finish thing. There'll be for sure a big finish. will do something. Whether there'll be a televised special or not, I I, I doubt that very much. Yeah, I, I'm sure there will be things. I'm sure that Time Fracture will do some big event as well. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. It'll all from be... what I've he- mm. <coughs> sorry, from what I've heard, um, David seems up for it. Um, Chris, so Christopher Eccleston probably won't do it. David Tennant has said he's up for it. Um, Matt Smith hasn't really spoken about it, but yeah, I think he, from what I've heard in interviews, he would like to attend, but whether or not he can, just because he's so busy, is a different question. Peter Capaldi recently said that he thinks too many multi doctor stories can sort of cheapen the effect of it, and. Jodie by that point she won't have gone very long so maybe the impact of her coming back won't be that great. Yeah, I feel like it's just kind of the wrong time for a 60th in a way. Yeah. yeah. So they maybe... should have thought about that when they first broadcasted it all those years ago. They should have thought, how's this going to work? In 60 years didn't. time. Selfish. They were selfish in the 60s. They were it. Verity Lambert and Sydney Human were very selfish. You've heard it here. They were, they were, they weren't the best people. How oh, dare they? Just, they're just, they're just rumours I've heard on the internet. Anyway, do we have any more news, Harry? Um, Proper yeah, you sent me some news. Uh, a couple of kind of I have. smaller, but uh, you know, interesting in their own right, little bits and pieces. Uh, the first of these is about um. Uh, Paul McGann, and when he originally took the uh, job as a doctor, and that it was something that he was uh, perhaps surprisingly for today hesitant about. Um, yeah, well, I, yeah, because what I read was basically the impression I sort of got from it was like because the show had gotten a bit crappy. You know, those Colin Baker years that they, you know it really cheap and it was sort of a novelty thing, and it sort of seemed back then like you didn't really want to be on Doctor Who if you were an actor. Like, at one point, you did. But then, as the show sort of stayed on the air, you didn't really want to. And it sort of seems like Paul McGann was like, do I want to be the one to front this show? Is it going to look like, you know, it did back then? It seems like they needed to reassure him that if it was to be picked up for a series, it wasn't going to look like a BBC thing. It was going to look like a, a Fox thing. Yeah, it's very interesting that um, kind of today, we very much view the role of playing the doctor is kind of this very kind of almost prestige position to take that's kind of like only the best in british telly work on this show but i guess you know the show'd been off the air for a bit you know effectively mm. cancelled um and they'd had kind of actors recently like colin baker who during the show wasn't the best received although i've heard this big finish is very good and um, Sylvester McCoy, who I think originally didn't come from a more a traditional acting background, not that that delegitimizes him, but perhaps no, no. 
that in addition to um you know just the things that paul says here i guess it was less of a kind of valued property in the zeitgeist uh i've got a quote from him yeah. saying i thought do it in oh, his voice do it in his voice do it in his voice where, where's he from, from liverpool, again isn't he liverpool i can't do a liverpool accent just do it as one of the Beatles. I'll do it as Ringo Starr. <laughs> <laughs> I Get thought, one. God, do I really want to do this? This was in the late 90s, before the big revival. Like everyone, I'd watched it as a child, but I'd never been a big fan. At the time, it even felt a bit uncool. Paul McGann huffed and puffed as he went down the track. The fat mud controller said, Paul McGann! You are causing much confusion and delay by refusing <laughs> to play the Doctor in the Doctor Who TV movie. That's so good. How have you... <laughs> Can I just say, right, I threw that suggestion out of doing it as a Beatle. Just out there. I did not know Harry could literally do the voice of Ringo Starr from, you know, Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> I watched a lot of Thomas the Tank Engine as a kid. That's very good. I like that. Mm. I often I see people do impressions of the Beatles, and I'm like, oh, they're really good. You don't realise the difference in their voice. I think, especially with John, who has quite a higher voice. Well, John has a little nasality, and that, that John Lennon has quite a little nasality to his voice, doesn't he? That wasn't a very good. He does. <laughs> but I could tell who it was. Yeah, you, well, that's because like we're talking I'm about Beatles. John Lennon. They all. They, it's very <laughs> easy to do very generic Beatles voices. You know, it is, it you've is. got. Because you've got John Lennon and, and you'll Paul McCartney and the leader of the Beatles. And of course, Ringo Starr is very iconic. And then George Harrison doesn't say anything. So you, you, don't, you can get away with not doing that one. That's true. But yeah, it's interesting what Paul McGann slash Ringo Starr had to say. This sort of thing of, it, was it cool? Because it wasn't, was it really? And let's be honest, it isn't that cool now, I don't think. Right now, it depends. It depends which circles you associate with. Because I remember yeah. it... It's really weird. At uni, like in my BA, uh, which was a drama and theatre course, Doctor Who was like the shit. Like, yeah. But now, currently, I'm on an acting course and it's not really the shit. Like, there's like. No. There's three English boys in my year on this MA and all three of us are into Doctor Who. But then outside yeah. of us, no one really cares that much. No, it's strange, isn't it? Uh, I've I've noticed as a fan, uh, I very like so the, the my two fandoms are this Doctor Who and Back to the Future, and I've noticed that if I am with somebody who I've never met before, to stay well away <laughs> from, from mentioning that I'm a Doctor Who fan. Uh, for example, uh, I congratulations to me. I was on a date the other day and just very casually um, misheard what someone had said. They had mentioned a flower, and I can't remember what the flower was, was called, but it sounds like Dalek. And I, I misheard what they said, and I said it back to them, and they went... and they, But they knew what it was, and they laughed. And I sort of thought, okay, that's a promising start. That's a promising start. But I, I, don't, I don't go in and go, do you know what TARDIS stands for? And I do a podcast, because it, you know, she, ain't, she ain't ever going to find out about this. <laughs> well, uh, on which dates do you break the news that you run a Doctor Who podcast uh, the day I end it <laughs> <laughs> we're breaking up I was talking and to, I like Doctor yeah, Who I, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I was talking to Harrison um, I, I've already told Harry this story but I'll tell the listeners Harrison is for those who don't know maybe you're new hello um, I co-host the podcast with sometimes and he said, oh, when do you think you will end the podcast? And I just jokingly said, oh, probably when I have a girlfriend. To which he turned around and went, well, you can never have a girlfriend if you host a Doctor Who podcast. So it's just an endless cycle. Tim, you are defying all logic of the universe by doing a Doctor Who podcast and <laughs> dating, going on Going da- on a date. I'll have you know that ever since I started this podcast, I've not been on a single date. <laughs> That that's that's um that's what real commitment is, Tim. You're jeopardizing. If um, if you need me to tell her that, I will. I'll go. He will be committed because he's been committed to a little podcast for the last year and a bit. 
because it, it was our year anniversary while we were off. Again, a terrible time for us to take a break. Um, but yeah, that was we got we got kind of sad and lonely there for a moment. Anyone news, Harry? Um, yeah, I got a couple things. One of them is about Philip Hinchcliffe. Um... Tim just gave a look as if he doesn't know who Philip Hinchcliffe is. He's the one who... <laughs> Tim, you sent me this article. You know who Philip Hinchcliffe is. But it was the way you went, Philip Hinchcliffe, and it was a little silence as I suddenly went. He... Let me get this right. Was Philip Hinchcliffe, he used to be uh, an executive producer on Dot 2 during the classic years? Yeah, he was a producer from 74 to 77. Okay. Yes. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, re- I remember. Go on. I said. I, I, okay. So here's how it works for everybody. Is I go throughout the week. Is I just gather bits of two news. And I cover the links. And I send them over to Harry. Um, I don't always read what I send him. Um, but yeah. Go on. What's 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 Hinchy? What's the Hinchmeister got to say for himself? Uh, the main thing that he discusses in this uh, interview is um, that he feels that the 25 minute. Um, episode length is better than the forty-five minute episode length. Like, interesting. Yeah. So, kind of back in classic Who, every episode was twenty-five minutes. Now, new Who forty-five. And his main reason is that he feels like the best story length is four twenty-five minute episodes, which pretty much equates to the length of a feature film. And he feels like yeah. in a forty-five minute standalone story the narrative can sometimes be a bit rushed and they might resort to things such as using the sonic screwdriver to get out of a situation. Whereas when he was working on the show, it was very much a rule that you use the sonic screwdriver very sparingly. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I agree with him, but I would argue don't reduce it and increase it. I know there's times when we've watched episodes and it's been like 45 minutes and I'm just going, oh, I would have really liked this to have been fleshed out. But then again, there are episodes where I'm going, jeez, this thing is this thing is burning. No pun intended for 42. But it, they just seem to go on forever. So uh, so probably in hindsight, if we were, if we were to take a, an average, the 45-minute one would probably work quite well. But I mean, yeah, I know what he means. I don't, but there are, I can't think... Apart from the first half of a football match, any other television programs that are forty-five minutes long that are broadcast on television, it's usually half an hour or an hour, especially dramas. That is interesting. Kind of, I anticipate, um, especially because I wasn't um, the woman who fell to earth. Um, wasn't that an hour long? I know that Chibnall's had a couple of hour-long Doctor Who episodes. Yeah, it's Chris. The Christmas ones have been an hour, and so was that series opener. That was an hour. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it feels like, especially with the way that the new the show currently is being shot, that Chibnall is in a sense trying to move Doctor Who into the conventions of every of your usual kind of contemporary TV drama, rather than it being in kind of a bit of its own kind of bubble, like it was during, I'd say, the Moffat era to a certain extent. Um, yeah. And I guess there's the argument that maybe it loses some identity in that. But at the same time, I'm kind of for it because Doctor Who is a show that's all about change and needs to meet those kind of standards and expectations of contemporary TV. I mean, maybe when we see the show come back after however long the transition period is between showrunners, it will have taken a bit of a reinvention and really committed to that contemporary hour-long installment thing. Yeah, I mean, well, they moved it from a Saturday to a Sunday and everybody was up in hours about that and that seems to have worked fairly well for it. I don't mind it being on a Sunday. So the idea of adjusting the uh, runtime of the episodes also doesn't really uh, bother me. The only thing that would bother me is, and it's just, you know, our instant gratification, is just if every episode was to be reduced and to be to, to be continued. Because I don't feel many people would watch it live. They would wait till it was available to stream. Because there's been times where I've put on an episode of Classic Who and I've only got like an hour. I'm like, oh, watch episode this. And it's like, end of part one, part two next week or whatever. And even though it's on a DVD, I'm like, ah, damn it, I've got to watch it. An- and the story's not finished, sort of thing. So I quite like the self contained 45 minute story thing. But um, from what we've heard from Chibnall, this next series is one long story. To- you know, it's more Russell era. There's a there's a, there's a a story arc that's going to be told over 13, uh, of, of a 
what is it, seven or eight episodes or whatever it is, and then um, you know that's just going to be top. So that should work. I think it, it'll be fine. Well, that's something that um, Hinchcliffe actually talks about in the interview. He kind of says that he was talking to Chris a couple of years ago. Of course, it feels more relevant now. And that Chris always said that he tried to construct story structures to have cliffhanger moments. Uh, yeah. So and I'm, we've kind of pretty much had confirmation already that every single episode of Series 13 is going to end with a cliffhanger and go into a uh, then a new, uh, well, not a new story, but kind of each episode will continue directly on from the last one. Which, personally... Yeah. It sounds interesting, but from what we've seen of the new series with all different locales and like we, we've seen Sontarans and we've seen Weeping Angels and all that, it doesn't strike me that it's going to be one long seamless story. There might be a thing of like it ends on the TARDIS but, and then directly goes into the next one, sort of like Poison Sky going to the Doctor's daughter. How they're different stories, but they tell Yeah, yeah, that's what I like. Them. Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather it be like that than, yeah, I don't know. But then I quite like the thing of a drama thing where it's like, we've got to get from point A to point B. And, you know, over these six episodes, we're going to show you how we're going to get there. But there's going to be mini stories within that. Almost like, you know, like, you look at The Force Awakens, that's the story of finding Luke Skywalker. But it's also a journey of getting to Kylo Ren. Han Solo has that little thing with the squids. You know what I mean? Of all the Star Wars films, you pick The Force Awakens. <laughs> Well, I, I picked that one because it's the only time, and you, because I've I've stolen that analogy from a former teacher of mine, and and that was the that was the film he picked because right. it, it was when the Force Awakens was out. So that's why I could pick another one, but I won't. <laughs> it's a, it's a, the Force Awakens is probably the Star Wars film I think about the least. See, I disagree. I have a little, I have this on my desk, a little uh, Force Awakens postcard, but it's uh, signed by. Carrie Fisher somewhere. There it oh, is. that's sweet. So I have, I have that on my desk. So yeah, that that that's why. I mean, no one cares about our Star Wars opinions. Even I don't care. I don't even really like Star Wars. Uh, yeah, Doctor Who. Um... <laughs> you don't. You don't really like Star Wars. <laughs> I I do, but it's it, it it got it's got. I feel it's fallen back into being too self-involved, and it's got tricky for people who are diehard fans to really indulge in it a lot I feel. Yeah, I can agree with that. I I've got a lot of friends who always go, have you watched The Bad Batch? And I go, nah. And they go, oh it's good, it's just like The Clone Wars. And I'm going, I never I never watched The Clone Wars. I watched the, I watched the movies you know, the anthology stuff and the first series of The Mandalorian. Yeah. I um see, I feel like this is something that's really reflective of this. Um Apparently it was revealed that to hide the spoiler of uh, Luke Skywalker appearing in the finale of The Mandalorian, all the concept art, art swapped him out like, with yeah. Plo, Plo Koon, I think the character's yeah. called, who's like yeah, someone yeah, yeah. from the st- from Clone Wars <laughs> or something. And then people on Twitter were like, oh man, it would have been so much better if we saw Plo Koon. Yeah, I saw finale. that, yeah. I saw and that, And I was yeah. here like... Yeah. Who the fuck's Plo Koon? <laughs> yeah, that's like, what I was like. like yeah. fish face thing, and it's like, do people Ridiculous, really care it? about this guy? I mean, I, I guess <laughs> good for you if you do. You know, big you up. But I, you can't really say in full faith that it would have been more impactful for Plo Koon to appear at the end of <laughs> the Mandalorian than Luke Skywalker. That's true. That's true. I mean, other websites sort of loved it, like Screen Rant. They could have got a good few articles out of the history of Placoon or whatever his name is, and things you didn't know. Mm. I'm just trying <laughs> to check if I'm getting that. the name right. Um, it, I think it is Placoon, Platoon. It's not Platoon, is it? But no, uh, yeah, I saw some of the concepts out. For those interested, there's a really good thing on Disney Plus where if you just go into the extra, I think it might be Star Wars Galleries or something like that, but. Um, Disney Plus is really great for Star Wars bonus material, like behind-the-scenes documentaries and stuff like that. Um, especially for Rise of Skywalker, there's a Ryan Johnson documentary about his friendship with Mark Hamill and how that was sort of tested during the filming of Rise of Skywalker. Uh, not Rise of Skywalker, The Last Jedi. Have you uh, found the name of Fish Fishboy Flaky Skin? It, it, it was Plo Koon, yeah. 
Good. We need we need a third person who we can throw stuff to, Google stuff, and then comes back to us. We need a tin dog. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. Very well done. Yeah. I had to think that. I was like, is that another podcast reference to another thing? But no. <laughs> it's not a podcast reference. It's a Doctor Who reference because this is a Doctor a... Who podcast, apparently. <laughs> Although I feel like we're actively avoiding talking about Doctor Who because there's not much to talk about with Doctor there's Who. There's not much to talk about. Like the last I, I, thing is oh, barely on. even Doctor well, Who. Peter Capaldi's released it, an album. That's well, hey, I'm on 10% battery, so let's whiz through this last one. But he is. Um, it's exciting, isn't it, Harry? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought we already knew this. I thought we already knew that you were we doing did, an but, album. But, but, now, but now they've said, like, they've done the artwork and stuff, and it's it's closer than it was last time. Oh, cool. Are you going to listen to it? <laughs> Probably, yeah. I would have thought, thought so. I wonder what his singing voice is like. I wonder if I'm going to listen, it's going to be, like, distinctly... Um, Peter Capaldi, you know, like William Shatner. Yeah, yeah. In my mind, it's I'm anticipating something very like Bowie esque. I'm not sure why. Yeah, yeah. But that's the vibe I get from Capaldi. Yeah, same. Do you think there will be? Uh, I I know people would would like there to be a Doctor Who song, but I doubt there would be. But I imagine that for fans, there probably is going to be a throwaway line in one one or two songs that would reference it. I want there to be a full cover of Doctor in Distress. <laughs> I think I saw online somewhere that Saul was trying to bring that back. Doctor, but why the Doctor isn't in distress <laughs> right now? Let me have a look. Doctor in distress. What? what what's the purpose of Doctor Who? Like for it to be like a a band aid style charity single to try and save Doctor Who or something? Yep, it's terrible. <laughs> I feel like you know, I... the famine in Ethiopia and Doctor Who possibly going off the air aren't quite equivalent. You know what I'm saying? That's true. I hadn't heard Doctor in Distress until this year, where Harrison played it to me in the car. He went, "Oh, have you never heard this?" I'd heard of it, but I'd never, uh, I'd never listened to it, and it's, it's unbelievable. It really is the virginist thing I've ever seen. <laughs> the whatest thing? The virgin virginist. It's about, it's, As in it's, 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 being yeah. like a virgin? Search <laughs> for the very first time! Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just as good as that. It's just as good as that. Yeah. I swear I saw something on Twitter the other day about Doctor in Distress and someone was, I think there was a Facebook group somewhere trying to do a new one. But um, uh, we should like, we should get in on that. We should uh we should get a bit on the Doctrine Distress revival. Uh, yeah, imagine it. Us, um, appar- Shater, apparently, apparently... Mr. Tardis, um, Crystal <laughs> D, Hoo, all of us doing Doctrine Distress. <laughs> that be grand. Uh, apparently, there's a Facebook group called Doctor Who Oddity who are working on a. This is from William Who. You thought Twitter was bad. Facebook are off making a doctor in distress again. The show isn't even getting cancelled. We don't need this yet. Laughing face. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, to be fair, right? If um, if if they did ask, I'd totally oh, I'd be do there one hundred percent. It'd be a right laugh. It'd be hilarious. Wouldn't I mean, it? be, if anything, it would be a great networking opportunity for. You know, meeting people within the Doctor Who fan sphere. That's true. You know, very true. (sighs) Any more news, Harry? Are we all newsed out? Uh, I think we've been newsed out for a while, bro. We've been newsed out for a while. It's been a nice, easy one to come back with. Um, Apologies that it's been maybe not the best. I I woke up at ten past eight for a podcast recording that we meant to do at eight. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it's been nice to be back. It, it's nice to come and do these again. I promise for the watch long segment that you'll hear in a minute, we are more awake and more alive because it's all pre recorded. And you know, it's like MTV, we're all just cool, hip, young fellas. Yeah, so um, <laughs> I guess I should do that transition, eh? Ah, uh, here we go. Uh, Harry, the watch along is coming up, and you know. What what episode are we what, what are we watching? 
I know, I know. But, you know, I was um, at the pub the other day, yeah? You know, the pub. Um, yeah. And there was a, there was, um, it was really annoying because there was this wasp that was just like buzzing around, wouldn't leave us alone. And, I, yeah, I, I tried to get rid of it, yeah. But um, for some reason, as a weapon, the first thing I grabbed, which I was told afterwards would be a horrible <laughs> weapon, was the uh, <coughs> sleeve of my j- jacket. And you're like, no, yeah. Harry, that won't kill it. That's not, that's not where I thought that was going, but okay, yep. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I wasn't trying to kill it, I was just trying to get it to go away. Well, maybe I was trying to kill it. I don't know, I just wanted the wasp to not be there anymore. Um, True. I feel like that's something many people can empathise with. Um, but I don't know, I guess I'm just a bit unconventional. You know, I suppose you could call me a bit of a unicorn in that sense. I don't get that one. How what, you're going to have to explain that to me? What? I don't understand the connection to the unicorn. I mean, I do for the show. Is that a saying? Yeah, it's a saying. Like if you're un- like if you're, you're unique, you're a unicorn. Is that not a thing that people say now? That you're, no, you're, you're that. because like, unicorns are rare that. and special, magical and unique. So like, if you're calling yourself a unicorn, you're well, well unicorns that rare. They, yeah, they, they, they don't. They don't exist. <laughs> What are you talking about? The, the, they're as rare as acrylatane. What's acrylatane? It's from Doctor Who, isn't it? Is it? It's from the, the Sarah Jane episode. You know, the school reunion? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I stopped your flow of uh, segues. Go on. But yeah, we're doing so, the unicorn. So you feel like lost. a unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, I thought you were going to say that, and the only thing I had to hand was a unicorn. <laughs> so I threw it like a dart, <laughs> and I just loved the image of a uni- of a unicorn flying through a local pub, and just its its spike perfectly piercing a fly to the wall, and nobody and everybody looks and goes, huh, and just carries on sipping their bitter. I mean, have you ever been to Birmingham, Tim? It's pretty you know, <laughs> the pretty common place for unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we're doing the Unicorn of the Wasp, everybody. Hang around, we're going to play some jingles, and then um, you can listen to us talk some more. A bit more high energy. Uh, we'll see you again soon. See you in a bit! <laughs> oh, wait, I have to stop recording. I'm not... I keep forgetting you do. this. Yeah. Humans are better in one respect. You are better at subscribing. Seek... Locate. Subscribe. What's the point in having you all? Hello, everybody. This is nice to be back doing the watch-along segment of um, Big on the Inside. Um, Those two cool, hip, groovy guys who do the news segment. They're they're old news now, babies. Us two. Uh, Harry, um... You're excited to do this? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's been a while. It's a weird kind of getting back into the swing of things, back to watching Doctor Who every week. Yeah, it was strange. Like, I um, I won't lie to you when I say I haven't missed watching an episode of Doctor Who every day for... Uh, every, every day, sorry, every week for the last year. Um, so it was quite nice to have a little break, but that said, when I watched it again and the theme tune kicked in, it, it was nice to be watching it again and revisiting it and living through it all again. Uh, because for us, actually, the watch-along segment has been longer than a month. It's probably been two to three months, I think. It's been a while, because kind of it was getting to a point where things were getting pretty intensive with uh, yeah. my university course. Uh, yeah. So we... Oh, of course, yeah, because cool. you, yeah, you had your uni stuff and I was... Okay, so behind the scenes stuff, Harry had. A, I mean, by the time this goes out, you will be in your your week of production of your final um, piece at university, and I was meant yeah, to be. Right. I was in the midst of moving, and um, that's been delayed because of COVID and all that rubbish. So, uh, not to say COVID is rubbish, but just the the way. Uh, uh, get vaccinated, by the way. Um, you know, just the way that some companies are still using COVID as a valid excuse for bad customer service is what I'm trying to say. Um, so yeah, but hopefully in the next couple uh, of weeks. Are you vaccinated, Tim? I am. I'm fully vaccinated. All double jabs. How about yourself? Yep, yep. 
yeah, I was quite, um, yeah, it was fine. I didn't really have any side effects to the second one. I was quite surprised. Quite a few people uh, seemed to get nauseous and dizzy yeah. the second day. And I, well, I seemed fine. How about yourself? Sore for a day. Yeah, I had that, and that was about it. I, mean, I was back at work that evening and stuff, so it was all good. But uh, that's all cool and stuff, but what's even cooler is escapism, Harold. So let's talk about Dotsu. What episode are we talking about this week? The Unicorn and the Wasp. That's true. Um, let's give a heads up from the very start. We are aware this episode is written by uh, um, Gareth Thomas, I want to say the name Roberts. is. Gareth Roberts. Gareth, Gareth Roberts, that's it, my apologies. Uh, and we understand, uh, we've mentioned it in the past when we've done episodes by him and the, the controversy with his tweets and stuff. And we just want to say that like, we totally understand that and we, we respect everybody's opinions and you know, we don't agree with Gareth or anything like that. But just for the nature of the podcast, we have to talk about the episode. And you, you know, the, the analness of myself, I couldn't just leave out some what are really well performed episodes. And, you know, the, the, I have some, I, to, to be fair, this isn't one of my favourite episodes, but I do have some really nice highlights about it that I did enjoy. Um, but before we get into what I think, Harry, what did you think of the unicorn and the wasp? I'm trying to remember it's... all the stuff that we did before so that we have a good start. <laughs> Uh, let's see. The Unicorn and the Wasp is the Shakespeare Code again, which was the Unquiet Dead again, which is it referenced is... in this episode. It's it a is, very isn't it? territory of the Doctor goes back to a time period and meets an iconic British uh, writer, and then something yes. happens which ties into the uh, stories which that writer wrote. Yeah, uh, I came up with some future examples. If they wish to, to take any of these, they can do. Um, a ghost that can only be seen in a lighthouse and they're with Virginia Woolf because she wrote a book about a lighthouse. Um, they go to 1984 and they meet George, Orwell, George Orwell even though he died in 1950. Um, they fight a man-sized mouse with John Steinbeck and they fight some witches with Rodal. <laughs> a man-sized mouse with John Steinbeck, um, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see that. You tell me you wouldn't like that? Personally, I'd rather have uh, Beatrix Potter uh, fighting off uh, giant uh, rabbits. Personally, I'd love that. Or maybe just beating James Corden with a stick. Who knows? Either of those things works out quite well. Um, so let's go into it. You said there it was the Shakespeare Code, which is the Unquiet Dead, which both get referenced. Uh, one thing I struggled with this episode was the fact that it's very repetitive of stuff we've seen before. And I. And I didn't really find myself watching it. I was just sort of staring at the screen and letting the images glaze over. Um, I think that it did kind of... I was a little different. I feel like the uh, it played into the conventions of the Agatha, Myst- Agatha Christie murder mystery well. In a way, it kind of set up... Agatha, Agatha Mystery. <gasps> Agatha Mystery. We're <Ooh>. Ooh. <laughs> probably like the 100th person to think of that. Um, i <laughs> But yeah, kind of, I thought it played into those trips well. It kind of, especially with kind of setting up the characters and playing with those sort of characters slash caricatures almost. Yeah. It's um, Cluedo-esque, kind of, isn't it? It's mm, very Cluedo and I like that. Yeah. Having th- really having fun with those conventions. Um, I will agree that, um, yes, it was very, uh, as I've already said, very derivative of stuff we've seen already. Um, I will say I feel like previous stories such as um, um, Shakespeare Code and Unquiet Dead Dead are stronger just because thematically it all ties together a bit more. You've got the murder mystery thing here but then there's a giant wasp and I don't... The giant wasp is a bit (laughs) I sort of found I I, I found the pacing of this episode odd. Like I get what they're doing with the referencing Prara and things like that, you know, there's been a murder, there's various people who it could be, and we're going to do the thing of sitting down and finding out where they all were at what time and stuff. But those episodes of those murder mysteries are usually got that extra 15 minutes. They're usually an hour in length, and this is only 45 minutes, and I sort of felt the pacing was off. And w- one thing that I really struggled with this, and I sort of halfway through, I was really bored by this episode, and I couldn't work out because I'm hearing about all this stuff you know, there's a giant wasp and there's been a murder and they're trying to solve it out. But what I realised why it was boring me is because they're telling me about this stuff. They're not actually showing it. They do show it through flashback, but only very briefly. 
do you know what I mean? It, I want to see the, the 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 wasp as a child, the kid as a wasp as a child. And I want to see him properly turn into a wasp in the church. I want to see all that. I don't want to. I don't want to hear hear it from the characters and then have it played back to me. It, it just wasn't particularly exciting as it should be. And it, perhaps this would have worked better as a big finished production because there is it's very dialogue heavy and there's a lot of standing in a room explaining what's going on. And I think it, it would have lent its lent itself really well to audio. That is an interesting observation. Yeah, now that you mention it, it would work well. And again, another point you made there is that it would have benefited in a big finish audio from having much more time and space to flesh things out. Because yeah. I my pacing issue, I guess, similarly was a little different to yours. I wasn't bored by it because it was very pacey and things were constantly happening. But it felt almost a little too. It felt too fast for me. I think okay. it would have really benefited from having time and room to really properly establish and flesh out these characters, because yeah. the characters, I think, they were all very well performed and they were, they were very fun. But because, like you said, you were squeezing an Agatha mystery, an Agatha mystery. Oh God, I'm saying it now. <laughs> an Agatha Christie murder mystery into forty minutes, forty-five minutes that came at the expense of some characterization and some of the characters felt a little archetypal. With that being said, the yeah. whole ensemble cast, I think, was a highlight and they all played their respective characters very well and had a lot of yeah. fun with it. Yeah, the cast are great. Um, Felicity Jones, uh, one of our very you know, an early Felicity Jones who would later go on to be in uh, Star Wars Rogue One as the she plays the unicorn as it is revealed. Um, you know, turning up to uh, steal all the diamonds and stuff like that. that so that was cool to see her. Um, David Tennant's dad makes an appearance as one of the butlers as well at the party at the very start of the episode. Um, and also Felicity Kendall from, um, you know, well, most people will know her from the murder mystery Rosemary in Time, but I think a lot of people also know her from The Good Life as well. And the the, uh, the British sitcom. There's a, there's a moment in this where it really sort of harkened back to series two where they meet Agatha Christie. I don't think they're meeting Agatha Christie. I think they're meeting Felicity Kendall and um, they're talking to her and Donna suddenly starts talking in this repressed British accent, this Watto mm-hmm. sort of Lady Tossingham-esque voice. And that really reminded me of Rose in Tooth and Claw when she starts speaking with a Scottish accent and the doctor's just like, no, don't, don't do that. Yeah. And so he always does it in the very understated David Tennant way of just going, no, no, don't do that. Don't do yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really funny, understated delivery. Um, yeah. Another moment which also reminded me of a previous episode with Rose was um, when Donna first came out with the TARDIS in the whole flapper gear. And ah, the yeah, yeah. To that, in comparison to how the Ninth Doctor reacted to Rose in the uh, Dickensian garb, I yeah. thought that was an interesting juxtaposition. That was good, yeah. I really liked Donna in this episode because... I like the fact that she's still really amazed by everything at this point. I feel like by this point with Rose, she's sort of humanised to it all. But like the first thing when they step out the toilet, the doctor takes a big deep breath and he smells the air and he declares what year it is. And Donna's reaction is, how the hell do you manage to, you know, how how can you tell what year it is just by smelling the air? And stuff like that. She's still amazed and, you know, no spoilers, but by the time we get to the end of Donna's run, you do feel like that character never got... The character grows, but... Donna herself never reached full potential. Do you think so? Uh, as in, what we see and what Russell wrote is fantastic and that is an amazing character arc, but I feel if you were Donna, you would want more. Do you know what I mean? I feel like mm. Donna still would have been amazed by stuff three or four seasons in. Yeah. You know, I actually I th- found something out during our break about Donna oh, and why she's only in one series, which surprised me, um, which is... Russell purposefully only planned for Donna to be in the one series because it was Kath- because she was played by Catherine Tate, who at the time and still is kind of um, a notably bigger name than, say, Billy Piper and Freeman Agamemnon were at the time. Uh, Catherine Tate was a bit more established and obviously was doing stuff like a sketch show. I don't know if that had ended by this point. But, I, think you know, it, yeah, I think it had... Uh, uh, the Catherine... Uh... I think that was still on. I know, yeah, so she was still doing something, wasn't she? I remember her still yeah. being on telly. But basically, because she was so kind of in demand, Russell sort of assumed that 
um, Catherine would only want to be available for one full series and they want to commit to that. And it was yeah. only after the fact that Catherine T actually revealed that, no, she'd have loved to stay on for more series if oh, she'd been cool. offered the chance. Yeah. That's always good. Um, so one thing that I really liked about this episode was actually how stylized it is and how well... this. Okay, I'm going to wonder, I hate Agatha Christie dramas. I don't like Praro. I don't like Miss Marple. I don't like any of those ITV for, you know, period pieces. They just don't interest me. I really can't get into them. And I think it's because members of my family like them and I was sort of subject to watching them from a young age instead of being allowed to watch Top Gear on Dave and stuff like that. So things like that but I love how this plays into the tropes of those and I can appreciate it and you know even the way it's very stylized with the spinning newspapers coming towards the screen and you know stuff like that it does a really good job at sort of embellishing itself in in that genre mm. I mean I feel like it's very easy for Doctor Who to kind of blend itself with that Avogadro Christie genre because I feel like for me one of the core pillars of Doctor Who um, is that it is there is always an element of mystery in Doctor Who. They always right. go to a new place and there's something going on and they've got to figure out what's going on. And so like, Doctor Who kind of lends itself to that very well. And like you said, it plays very well into the genre stylistically. I think the one yeah. highlight for me was when they were kind of interrogating all this, everyone and it flashed back to their stories. And they kind of played with the conventions of that in the sense that while they were telling a story, you could see their memory of it and that what was actually happening was quite different to what they were describing. Yes. I thought that was a very fun kind of subversion of the trope. Because the Doctor gets his own little flashback as well, doesn't he? Where he's in mm. Belgium in like the year 800, I think, which was quite good. Yeah. Uh, I like that. I like stuff like that. Those little embellishments of the series always seem quite fun. Um, I'm just going through my notes here. What could be the next suitable thing to talk about? Let's talk about the, the bit where the Doctor gets poisoned, that sort of famous scene of... That really is, you know, we've sort of spoken about it, how the Tenth Doctor, despite him becoming a darker character with Time Lord Victorians and stuff like that, he also becomes more comedic and they play into David's comedic side really well. And mm. now he's acting against Catherine Tate. They, you can really see them bouncing off each other, especially in that Harvey Wallbanger scene. That's that's great. Um, go for it. What do you think about these, you know, more comedic sides of the Tenth Doctor? I think it's refreshing. Um, it's good. I think... We've got to a point with series four where they're really willing to kind of push the 10th Doctor to both the comedic and kind of the, I guess, angsty extremes. Yeah. Like this episode is a prime example of really leaning to those wacky, silly moments. And David Tennant is having loads of fun with it. And it helps that he's working off Catherine Tate, who he has an incredible, incredible chemistry with, which mm. I've said before, and I'm saying again. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we get other episodes uh, which deal with stuff such as the Time World Victorious um, narrative, which is kind of slowly, slowly emerging here and there. And then that really leans into that kind of angstiness, lonely God Messiah figure thing. Uh-huh. But yeah, here I really enjoy the goofiness. And I think there is room in Doctor Who for it to be goofy without kind of breaking out of kind of what we expect from the show. I think this is kind of. For me, I wouldn't want to see the show get any goofier than we saw in this episode. Yeah. Um, I think this is the limit that you can push Doctor Who with it still kind of remaining within that world. Um, yeah. But I was very, I, I enjoyed uh, the levity of this episode. Yeah, it's good fun, isn't it? And it's sort of like, I, I, I like that, but one thing I really struggled with was I know Doctor Who is all about suspension of disbelief. But I felt this episode had some real limitations in it. One of which being the scene in which where the vicar or the reverend turns into a wasp in the church in the flashback at the end. And it's just a guy standing there like this and every now and again he's just starts zizzing away like a wasp. And then there's like a puff of smoke and there's a giant six foot wasp standing there. And I just sort of sometimes thought, oh I'm really struggling to not look at the, like when we watched Eccleston's first series um, by the end of that I was sort of in, immersed in the, the CGI of the time and it didn't really bother me it sort of was an issue at first but you know towards the end of the series you don't really you know it's not that bad and then as we've watched the series it's got noticeably, noticeably better 
But this episode, for some reason, that effects was just so naff that I couldn't help but look at it and go, oh, that's really bad. And sort of sort of look at it the same way I've looked at Classic Who with some of its dodgy effects. Yeah. I mean, I think my key issue with this episode there, um, it was lesser so a uh, special effects thing, because I think the CG work actually being done is pretty good for the time with a BBC TV yeah. budget. But my issue is just the Wasp conceptually. In fact, I'd say my biggest issues with the Unicorn and the Wasp are kind of the titular characters of the Unicorn and the Wasp. Uh, yeah. The Unicorn, just because I feel like that character, for being in the title, is kind of brushed over yeah. a little quickly. I feel like it's kind of something that's mentioned at the beginning. We get hints of it in the middle and then it's revealed and then it's not really acknowledged yeah. proper again. And then for the wasp, just conceptually, the alien I find very confusing. It's this alien creature from another planet and yet it takes the form of a giant wasp. And then also the fact <laughs> it transforms in a puff of purple smoke is a bit weird and it's controlled by this medallion. Yeah, It all seems a little bit just... I don't know. It just feels a bit disconnected from everything else thematically. Yeah. Like, what's what's a giant alien wasp that, turns, <laughs> that transforms in a puff of purple smoke and is attracted to a medallion? What's that got to do with Agatha Christie? Anything. Yeah, yeah. Th- there was. Yeah, I sort of agree with that as well. I also had problems. I felt this episode was very much an ass kissing episode. Like, there's a lot of oh, we're British, we're very repressed. Oh, look at us, we're soldiering on, and people have died. Look at us, we're still going though, but we'll keep it bottled up inside. And then also at the end, and this really bugged me, is when they're going, but look, Agatha Christie is still published in the year 5 billion. And then the doctor goes, she is the greatest author that has ever lived. And I go, what the hell? And like, what a bold, random statement to put out there. It just didn't feel right at all. And there was so much, Agatha Christie's amazing, isn't she good? And like, yeah, she's alright, she's great, you know, and her work has lived on all these years and stuff. I'm not going to be anyone to knock it but you know what I mean I sort of felt there was like I don't think Agatha Christie is looked upon the same way as Charles Dickens or William Shakespeare hmm I think that's yeah I mean the I I'm not the most well versed when it comes to you know the uh, British literary canon which is probably not the best thing I could say as an actor <laughs> um, I do like Shakespeare. I like the plays. I like the plays. Shakespeare, great guy, great guy. Um, uh, I know what you mean. I think when you compare kind of the legacy of Agatha Christie, which she has a great legacy, you know. Her, On ITV3. Her mysteries are still adapted to this day. They're still read and beloved. But I feel like when you compare her to other figures in the literary canon, which the show has shown, like you said, Shakespeare... Uh, Dickens, you know, Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley, um, Byron, all of them in the villa, Haunting of Villa Diodati that we saw in Series 12. I'm not convinced that... Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm not convinced Agatha Christie quite compares. But because this is an yeah. episode about her, they need to really big her up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry to keep slating, but one thing I really dislike about... It's not just this episode, but they do it in Shakespeare Code and Unquiet Dead... Is where the companion um, accidentally gives future ideas to that person. So, like Donna says, murder on the Orient Express. And I go, Chris, oh, that's a good idea. I might do that. And Amy Pond with Vincent and all the sunflowers. And uh, maybe that's actually that's slightly better. But you know, like the accidental, like, oh, I've just inspired them to do this sort of thing. I, I it just really bugs me because I feel like it's such a cheap and obvious gag that you you could have maybe have done something better. Hmm. I guess, on one hand, yes, it is pretty cliche. On the other hand, it's cliche because it's obvious. And yeah. would you be silly to ignore it? Would you be silly to yeah. ignore those obvious um, jokes? Yeah. You know, well, you only get to meet Agatha Christie in BBC's Doctor Who once. Or do you? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> you'll meet her again online. <laughs> Uh, I think if if you're like me, you really wanted to enjoy this episode, but it just wasn't for your taste. I would recommend the Wallace and Gromit um, adaptation of A Matter of Loaf and Death, um, 
which is just, you know, if if you want a piece of work inspired by Agatha Christie and those great crime writers, then uh, Nick Parks, 2009. You really have Gross and what you really have Wallace and Gromit on the mind this week, Lady Tossington, Matter of Life and Death. Yeah, exactly. Well, the reason I reason I started thinking about it is because the scene where Mister Plum gets murdered at the start, and he's in the library. He turns around, he goes, "Oh, hello, it's you. What are you doing here? Oh, wait, what's that? Ah, is exactly the same as how that matter of life for death starts. So that baker gets his head beaten with a with a a rolling pin, and he face plants the dough at the start of that episode, where he's going, "Well, if I knew you were coming, I'd a bit to kick," and he's. <laughs> It's exactly that, that kind of that kind of that's that's not unique to either of those. Like I've I've seen that sort of shot composition in so many things. Like sorry, an episode of Family Guy. I've seen it everywhere. You know, it's Harry. Do you have anything else to talk about with this episode? Um, I'm surprised that um in the series trailer they didn't use the uh out-of-context clip of Donna kissing the Doctor. Because they did that for the Series 2 trailer. With they did, Rose didn't they, the yeah. Doctor. They did That's do it true. this time, which I think shows a lot of restraint from the editing house who had to do the trailer. Yeah, so uh, props to them for that. Uh, we're back. We're back. Series 2. Uh, series 2. Series 4. Part 2. And obviously that means the return of everybody's most loved segment of the show. It's, it's the quiz! with a murder mystery story. I'm not going to remember these little bits and pieces. Harry, um, there's a fellow in this episode who's in a wheelchair. Um, at the start of the episode, he reveals why he's in the wheelchair. What um, pandemic does he blame his disability on? Spanish flu? I'm going to give you that. He says it's the flu pandemic. So I'm going to give you that. That's one point there. Well done. <sighs> We always have to talk about bloody pandemics, don't we? These how many times? How many times does the Doctor claim Agatha Christie tricked him with one of her books? Once, but it well was a done. good once. Yes, that's true. Did you watch this episode today by any chance? Yes. Okay. Uh, at this point in Agatha Christie's life, how many books has she published? It is mentioned in the episode. Sixteen. Six. Ah. Done. Sorry. Um. In the episode, it, well, the real life hotel that Agatha Christie's found out is called the Old Swan, um, but in this uh, in this episode, um, the hotel in Harrogate is known as Watts. Oh. There's, there's a green sign and it has the name of the hotel upon yeah. it. Uh, can't remember this time. Um, gonna go lazy. The Hotel Harrogate. Change those last two words around and I'll give you a point. Is it literally called the Harrogate Hotel? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's a point, yeah. <laughs> you got three out of four, which I think is the best you've done this series. If people have been listening, they've been keeping track, yeah. which why would you? Um, there you go. So there you go. Four out of uh, Three out of four. Not bad. Not bad at all. Could be better. It could be better. By the end of this series, I hope that you do get a full house. Harry, um, anything to recommend whatsoever? Before I go, I just want to tell you you were fantastic. You've had four months off uh, from recommending stuff. You must have watched or done something or listened or eaten something in that time that you thought, bloody hell, I must tell someone about that. I've been to the cinema a great deal, actually. Um, But I'm not sure what I would recommend because it's been mostly kind of the big hot movie of the week that I've seen. You know, I yeah. saw the James Gunn Suicide Squad film, which was a big improvement uh, mm. on previous Suicide Squad films, uh, all one of them. Um, <laughs> I saw the Ryan Reynolds um, movie Free Guy, which, you know, if it looks good to you, you'll probably have a good time. It's pretty much exactly what it says on the tin. It looks um, good fun. If you think it looks like fun, I think you'll enjoy it. And what did Ryan you think? Was a great. Um, I thought it was fun. Yeah, I think you know it's not it's not earth shattering, not super revolutionary. It's not doing anything I haven't seen before. But yeah. everything it does, it does very well, and it does with a lot of 
clear passion and a sense of fun. And Ryan Reynolds is just a great lead, which I think yeah, actually leads me to the recommendation I'm going to make, uh, which is another very different Ryan Reynolds film in which he is the lead, and he is the only lead. Uh, it's a film called, I believe, Buried. Um, okay. But the whole sorry. film, part Buried, I believe. Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah, and the film. Wait, buried, wait, is, is the film called I Believed? I believe Buried, or is it no, called, it's called Buried? Oh, uh, okay. Buried. <laughs> yes. Um, it stars Ryan Reynolds, and it That's all Pikachu. takes place in a coffin underground. And Ryan Reynolds is in that coffin underground, and he's trying to get out. And is he Ryan Reynolds movie. in it? Yeah, what do you mean, is he Ryan Reynolds in it? Like, Will Smith, Will Smith's it. Um, Ryan Reynolds is like, you know, he's putting in a really good performance. It's probably the best performance I've seen Ryan Reynolds put in. When, and when did this movie yes, come out? I think a while ago, like twenty early 2010s, around then. Oh, okay, um, so it's pre-Deadpool. It's definitely pre-Deadpool. But the fact, the thing is, I can't think of another actor who could have pulled it off as well as Ryan Reynolds. I think the fact that Ryan Reynolds does have that kind of background as a comedic lead yeah, actually really helps him. Because this isn't, it's not a comedy at all. But the fact he has that level of charisma is kind of necessary considering he's the only actor you see in the whole film. And yes. he gives an, an incredible performance, possibly a performance of a lifetime, for now at least. And it's, it's just really good. Very different, completely gripping worth watching cool beans uh, I, I've been thinking about my recommendations and you know it, it, it starts off as a sad one because a couple of weeks ago uh, we lost the amazing comedian Sean Locke who people will know from 8 out of 10 cats as countdown 8 out of 10 cats QI you know a lot of British panel shows uh, and recently uh, the BBC put his sitcom 15 stories high on BBC iPlayer and I don't know how long it's going to be on there for so if you're listening to this go out and check it it's a very stylized, dark comedy it stars Sean Locke as um, I can't remember but like he's like the lead guy who flat shares with uh, another character called Earl I believe the name is played by Benedict Wong from Doctor Strange and the occasional appearance in the IT crowd um, and it's very very funny it's not a um you know, Mrs. Brown's Boys type studio audience. But, for some reason, the BBC have decided... Uh, the whole series is, like, studio... You know, it's filmed on location, like uh, Motherland was, you know, those kind of shows. But then, for some reason, episode six, the BBC have put a laugh track over it on series one, episode six. So, if that kind of stuff annoys you, you can find it on YouTube without the laugh track. Um, there's, I know there's been kind of some debate online if they're going to replace it. But, yeah, 15 stories high on Netflix on BBC iPlayer. Um, if you like, I said, if you're not in the UK, you can find it elsewhere on um, on YouTube. But you know, if you can get it on BBC iPlayer, go check it out there. Sounds great. Did Sean write it as well? Yeah, he wrote it with um, oh, what's his name, Darren or Dar another British comedy writer who you Dara would recognise. No, 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 no. Um, I can't remember his name, but you, if I showed you a picture of him, you would recognise him. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Sounds really good. Yeah, and that's um. That's it, really, Harry. Do you have anything else you wish to say? Um. Um. Not right now. I can't think of anything. No. Oh, oh well. Um. Well, well, let's let's do the end of the show. Um, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, and Anchor. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can. Subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Bigger on the inside pod. Uh, or bigger on the pod whatever it is they're all linked below just going to click on that link it'll take you straight there uh, we will be back next week with what episode will that be Harry Ooh, oh no we've got, oh, we got to do we got to do the, uh, the the thing where you lead into next week's episode yeah but it's a it's a, it's a pretty good two-parter that we have next week very exciting do you do your thing where you do a do a funny a funny oh, say, say bye in the funny way no, where you do like a, uh, what is it? Where you do like a Sontaran stratagem, where you have to think. But I, I do, I do. No, I do that after the new segment, Tim. Uh, do you? Oh. <laughs> oh goodness, we're old and rusty. 
It is. It feels weird. Podcast bones aren't like they used to be. Let's go back and listen to some old episodes to try and work out what the heck we do. I think we've done everything we normally do. We've done the quiz. We've done the recommendations. We've done the watch along. Yeah, I don't remember it being this easy. No, I don't. I don't. I remember it being more fun as well. But anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, we're reaching the end of the David Tennant era, so we're winding down. It's understandable. Uh, So. Uh, we're back next week with a fun two-parter a Stephen Moffat two-parter as well so that will be cool and uh, Harry do you want to say goodbye bye bye adios everybody it's fun to be back we have to stop recording where's the recording button I can't find oh there it is make sure you subscribe to the official bigger on the inside podcast